our strategy isn't we build boutique apartments, we build mixed use, we build townhomes. Our strategy is what does the market need? We believe every neighborhood should have homeowners and renters and commercial and retail. And that's what makes it vibrant is that you have all of these people interacting together. Have you ever been downtown in a city? You've passed the vacant lot and thought to yourself, I would love to buy that lot but I'm not sure where to start. Well, in today's episode, we have Katie Neeson. She's a real estate developer and has over 20 years of experience investing in real estate. She's a wealth of knowledge when it comes to revitalizing Main Street America. She talks about how you can successfully develop new construction, revitalize dilapidated properties, despite rising costs for investors. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation homeowning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Okay, Katie. So currently the USA is struggling with a housing shortage, with which many people do know that's happening. It's actually 3.2 million to be exact. So how do you see the renovating of Main Street properties solving this problem? Such a good question. And you're right. We have a massive housing shortage. And really, since World War II, we've developed housing the same way. Big subdivisions with cul-de-sac neighborhoods. And we've we've gone away from what a lot of people refer to as the missing middle housing. And these are small properties, small houses, small footprint density that allows people different options. And the downtown Main Street That's where it all used to be. And this is the perfect opportunity to bring that back into the downtown. So what we really love to focus on is smaller footprint, higher density, and the amenity is the downtown. So people walk from their apartment, their house, and they get to go straight into downtown. So as a developer, I don't even have to provide that amenity. It's already built in. And I can just focus on how to give housing options to more people, both renting and owning in a smaller footprint. Ooh, 
I love that. I have so many different ways I want to take take this because, you know, I want to get into the boutique hotel that you've been developing, and we're going to get into that and how it solves right this this housing shortage, which we all need to be part of the solution. But what I what I really want to ask you first is, you know, I am I have developed. We're doing a development in Trenton, New Jersey. And I have, we got our start in Trenton, New Jersey, which for those who are listening is a capital of New Jersey and it has been, has been, you know, really severely blighted, right? Uh, it was the heyday was the fifties. People moved out to suburbia and, and New Jersey and, and the city, uh, even though it's on the water and has a lot of great amenities has really, uh, struggled over the years. So revitalization has been something that really they've been working on. My question to you is that how do you choose? How do you choose the right downtown, right? Because there's a, there's a spectrum of downtowns. And I know because I, I, we did so much in Trenton. It's still figuring itself out. It's still trying to, you know, get its two feet on the ground, to be honest with you. So for the, for the listeners, what do they need to see and hear to say, Ooh, good market to, to do this? Or wow, I'm going to be the first ones here. This might be a little too far away from me contributing. What, what is your take on that? So good. I look for three things to have happened in order to go and select a downtown market or a revitalizing area. Number one, has the city spent money on the area? So examples of that, you can just visually see. Have they up, put in parks, upgraded the infrastructure, things where they've spent taxpayers' dollars? Because if they've spent money, now they would have to say this was a bad investment if developers don't come and use that infrastructure. So that's number one. Number two is I want to see the owner-occupied business owner downtown in their shops. So the lowest risk real estate, right, is the person who owns the building and has their business in it. And so those people are basically showing confidence in the area and they're the first in as far as the investor. And then if I see those two things and then number three, which really should probably be number one, but it's like any real estate investment, is it a good market to invest in? And that doesn't matter if you're doing developments, if you're doing commercial or if you're doing, you know, residential, is there population growth? Is there diversity in employers? And, you know, you're going to be building with the development. So how fast you absorb it or how quickly people move into that new housing is super important. So you want to make sure you're picking a town where population is growing so that they can absorb those units. Now, we're at a place in our country right now where there's a housing shortage. So it's a good time to bring on new units for those to get absorbed quickly. But again, Real estate's not national, right? So you better make sure your market is actually one of those places that people are moving to so that the new units you bring on can be rented. I love that. I almost see like a scale because when I look at a market, I see a scale like you have this oversaturated, overpopulated, too many, too many units, right? That the supply and demand is off. Too much supply. Demand, yes, but a lot of more supply, right? And so that you're saying, you know, my, are my units going to get uh, absorbed? Like you're saying, and, and it's a, and it's a popular area. People are coming to it, but you know, w- will my units be, be absorbed to, to your point? Then the other spectrum is, is any, you know, is this even a good market? Is, are people coming here? And I, I love the three rules of thumb, um, in terms of is the city, especially if the city's spending money. Yeah. Because if that's not happening, you know, I always like to say, and I say this probably on every episode, but 
you cannot control a market. You can only participate in one. Listen to the city, but also listen to yourself to say, okay, am I like the pioneer? You know, or am I, am I kind of riding into this phase and I see things, good things happening? Yeah, there's like a honeymoon phase. Every city official is going to tell you there's a housing shortage and they want more housing. They're all going to say that. They do not all mean that. And so the best way to quantify it is to see, are they investing money? And another great thing to do is just Google like um, grants. You know, I'm in the city of Bryan. So I would do city of Bryan grants. If they're offering money to help revitalize a certain area. Another example of they really mean they want development in that area. And so at that point in time, the reason I call it the honeymoon phase is they're going to do all that they can to help you be successful. So we've had them give us a release of right away. So we have bigger properties so we can put more housing on it. They'll work for rezoning because a lot of times when you go into these downtown areas, they are not zoned for what you want to build because the zoning is way behind the vision of the city. But if what you're building aligns with their vision, then they'll work with you to get that zoning, to get what they want and you want. So I'm like, you always want to be pulling in the same direction. It is hard enough to work with the city when you're not, when you have the same goal. It's really hard to work with them when you want different things. So just go in there, share your vision with the city and make sure it aligns with what they want. And then it'll be a much easier to accomplish the goal. Oh, I love that. And I, I, I think this is so, so important that you're saying this because there's one thing to be able to read whether a city has the appetite for development and they want to see investments happening in that city because they all say that on their websites. This another thing to really have that aligned with money, with, with energy, with, with, you know, all the, all the pieces of the infrastructure. I really want to ask you some, a very specific question when it comes to setting yourself up for zoning. Uh, working with zoning officials as well as as just the city officials. Before we do that, let's take a moment for a break. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. All right, Katie. So I really want to jump into the setting the investors up that are listening to this for success when speaking to city officials, right? So they've, they've Googled it. They're getting a sense that, you know, their, their particular city has this. They're investing the dollars. It's on the upswing. Uh, 
you know, again, I, I think there's a, there has to be an affordability gap. People need affordable housing. And I don't mean in the traditional sense. I mean, just being able to afford where they live, right? Um, the job diversity, people are coming to the city, like all, it checks all the boxes. So then you're sitting there go, you know, I got to really get a sense of the zoning and, and, and the housing kind of director, if you will. Most towns have housing directors. They're called different things. So when you set up a meeting with these folks, what are like, red flags, like run away from the city <laughs> or what are like the green flags that say, dee, dee, this is a great opportunity here, especially if I'm new to really uh, the downtown investing kind of world. Yes. So the first thing that I want to do is look up the city's comprehensive plan. Every town in America has one. Just Google, you know, for me, City of Bryan comprehensive plan. There is a vision for your town. And it will break down where it sees growth and what kind of growth it wants. So I look for downtown because it's a super long, boring report, but it has such good information. So I'll look for what does the city want in my downtown? And so for us, they want more housing and they want more retail development, right? And so I go, okay, so that's their vision. So then I'm going to say, what do I want to build? I want to build cool, funky housing that people downtown will love. They want to express their character through. So I'm going to do a Google search. I'm going to come up with some maybe images, like what I'm thinking. And I'm going to collect those in basically a PowerPoint or a printout. And then I'm going to set up with a meeting with the city. I don't have a specific property in mind. I don't have an absolute development in mind. I'm going to meet with them and I'm trying to confirm a couple of things. One, that that staff actually agrees with the vision that was laid out because these can be 20 year plans and those people may not have been around when that vision was there. Oh, that's a great point. You know, just because they have a plan and a, a comprehensive plan does not mean that they actually agree or even are like singing off that sheet of music. That's a great point. Absolutely. So first thing I'm going to do is then try to figure out, do they align with this vision? I'm going to show them my project images. Like, this is what I want. This is what I'm wanting to bring downtown. How do you feel about that? What do you see as the obstacles I'm going to encounter? Where do you feel like in downtown? Because some downtowns are big, some are small. Like where do you envision if it's townhomes, say these townhomes would be successful and get them talking? Because now they basically, you're trying to convince them that your vision is their idea. And so as you talk through it, they'll start telling you what they want, the areas that they want it. And you'll know by their language because they're either going to be saying, ooh, that's going to be tough. That neighborhood doesn't really allow that. Or, you know, we've tried this before. It doesn't work. You're going to get all the red flags of they're not going to support me. But if they say, oh, my gosh, this is exactly what we've been looking for. The hardest thing is just finding a developer who can execute. And so we want to support you. That will be the difference in the tone. It should be very clear. Now, that's when they're in the honeymoon phase. As more and more development happens and those cities get more and more built out, the city starts putting on the brakes. They're less helpful. They start putting up more roadblocks because they're trying to contain the growth. And so then their, their tone's in the middle. But if you're in that honeymoon phase, you'll know it because you're giving them exactly what they've been waiting on. And they will be overly excited to the point where it makes us a little nervous when they're too excited. Like, what do we know or what do we not know that makes them so excited about what we're doing? So yeah, you can definitely tell. I like that. So if they're too, if they're too excited 
what, 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 what's the negative of that? I haven't seen it materialize, but the very okay. first project that we bought, we didn't know anything. We couldn't find anyone to help us. Okay. We bought. And three, where was that? Was that Brian, it was in uh, downtown? Texas? Yep. Downtown okay. Brian. We bought these three lots. They had these modular houses on it. Horrible, uh, worst houses in the neighborhood, which is already a relatively old dated neighborhood. And so we're like, you know, what we're going to do, we're going to build on it. So we go and sit down with the city and they were like, oh my gosh, we love what you're wanting to do. We're going to give you extra land. We wanted to build five. They're like, that'll let you build seven. We'll let you, we, they removed the setbacks. Like they made all these changes. We'll get the zoning, what you need. And we left there going, why are they so excited? Are they like, oh, this is exactly what we want. And we're like, but no one's ever done it. And they're like, if these fools are, you know, dumb enough to try it, we'll let them. And so we, we were nervous just of the excitement because we were like, it made sense to us and it made sense to them. So we were like, so why isn't anyone doing it? Um, and so, yeah, that's where the nervousness came from. So let's walk that, edit, that example through because I think we all walk through we all walk through downtown USA, if you will, in these small towns. We see lots. And if we're a real estate investor, especially right now that like we're getting out price on this multifamily and this deal is overpriced, you know, the lots and, and those type of opportunities are probably less eyeballs, but there's more quote unquote risk, right? So, but we have those ideas like, hey, I can probably develop there. Walk us through how that project ended up working. Uh, what did you put on those lots? Why did you put, uh, you know, why did you do that? And then just walk us through, through that a little bit. Yep. So that was our first ground up development and we did townhomes. These would have been the first new construction housing built in my downtown in my lifetime. So we were definitely going to be the first in the market. Now, between me and my business partner, we have over 60 years of experience in real estate. So it's not like we blindly hoped it would happen, but we knew that there was measured risk. So we were going to be able to put seven townhomes on there to help with the risk. We, one, did it in all cash. So we got private investors and we did all cash, no leverage, because we knew worst case scenario, we had to rent it. And we do that with all of our developments that are intended to sell. It has to cash flow with a 30-year mortgage and break even if we have to put a tenant in it. We split it into two. We did three. And then as those went under contract, we started the next four. So that way we were limiting our risk. Now, looking back, it all went swimmingly and we did multiple phases and we would have been way smarter economically had we done all seven at one time and sold them because, you know, there was a delay. But our risk appetite and being first in the market said the smart play here is to make sure that people actually want them. And so, yeah, that's how we did it. Three and then four. The reason we chose single family housing is because there's a housing shortage, right? And in a downtown, there's missing housing because it's all been blighted. It's been bulldozed over. People fled years ago from those downtowns. And so what we need are people living downtown, heads in beds, so that when they roll out of bed, they go eat downtown, not because it's a destination location, but because that's what makes the most sense. And when you think about economic development in America, that's how it happens. All of the big subdivisions go in and then the strip centers pop up because commercial follows rooftops. But when you're revitalizing an area, it happens in reverse because the commercial buildings are still there, but the housing has been gutted. So we knew housing was the safest play. 
Everybody needs a place to live. It was a good way to get our foot in the door, create the housing and confirm that people wanted to live there. Because if people don't want to live there, ultimately those businesses downtown will not be successful. They cannot live on events alone. They need to live on people who are down there because it makes sense to be there. So I have so many questions now. I, you, you're, you're, you're giving me so many different ways I could take this. But I, I, what I want to focus in on is, again, the idea of development and renovations in a time that there, that there's a housing shortage. So with the, with the seven townhomes, right? What was the commercial landscape looking like? Meaning, um, you know, because that is a big piece of this, meaning is, is there, is there a commercial, and especially now because of COVID and a lot of, a lot of these downtown commercial spaces are vacant. W- were there, was there walkability? Were there places that people went to and, and can go, um, and how much of that should you see in order to justify, okay, you know, seven or 10 or how many, and seven is, is, a, is a reasonable number for, for a town, of course. You're not doing like 30. But I'm just curious, like, you don't, you don't want to see like blighted commercial space and go, yeah, this is going to work really well. Um, what is your kind of, what do you look for in terms of like the operational sense of commercial space when you're looking at a purely residential development? Yep. Such a good question because the whole revitalizing of downtown is sweeping across the whole country. Tons and tons of small towns are seeing it. And what the city officials are even focused on, because I, I just strongly feel like they're missing the mark. It is events. So they're having events down there. The commercial, usually you have a handful of restaurants and a few boutiques and they're revitalized. You're, it's feeling safe. They're having like first Fridays, uh, parades, a lot of, they're pushing a lot of traffic there. So you see the energy. People go downtown on those events and they're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like the, you know, the energy is good because people are traveling there as a destination. The problem is we're all business owners as real estate people, right? We know a business cannot survive on one to three months of really good, uh, one or three days, one to three days of really good sales in a month, right? Or a festival. It's got to be more than that. Yeah. It's got to be, they need a daily benchmark and then those have to be gravy on top. The city kind of misses that. They're like, oh, that event was great. You know what? We need more events, more events. When really what they need is for people to live down there. So what you want to see is that there is already an energy of the community to want to travel to downtown. Now, what you're providing is people want to live down there, but there are no options. So it really is relatively low risk. Now, every building's not going to be full. For one, the most frustrating thing in a downtown are the people who've had these buildings forever. They're dilapidated. They won't invest in them and they won't sell them. Like those people are so frustrating, but that's part of every downtown. It just is kind of the eclectic nature, but the majority of the blocks that they're really focused on are seeing vibrancy, people living in, I mean, working out of them and sometimes loss above where people are living in them, but it's just such a limited number that really what's missing is the opportunity to people for people to live next to where they want to travel to so that it's just walking and now you're not having to travel. So that first development we did, I think it's about four blocks from downtown. Everyone asked us that is from my community. So I'm third, my kids are fourth generation here. All the people who are from here is like, oh, is it safe to walk? 
And I'm like, yes, but that's not what they think. The people who come to town who don't have all the baggage in the history, it doesn't feel unsafe at all. So really your obstacle is getting the community that's been there forever to realize downtown is revitalized, not just on the first Friday event. Like it is a place that people are wanting to live. So we were about four blocks away. We see our residents walking all the time to downtown to their favorite restaurants. And as far as like, what is the commercial or the retail tenant? So we do a lot of mixed use too. And they're small mom and pops. We are not bringing in franchises, you know, national credits for one, that's not what you want in your downtown. And two, they don't want to be in the downtown until they hit certain benchmarks anyway. What you're bringing in is destination retail. So that's what's still successful. You know, med spas, barber shops, places that people want or have to go to get whatever it is that they're doing. Those are going to be the mainstay tenants and then the restaurants. So you usually have a pretty good cluster of restaurants and restaurants feed restaurants. So it's even better if you can get more restaurants down there because then more people go for the options, just like, you know, in the strip center, they all seem to go on the same. It's the same in downtown. So really that's the energy of who the retailers are. It'll only be a few boutiques because to be successful, those owners have to understand they're getting their sales from someone other than who's walking by. The person walking by is a benefit on top. They've got to be wholesaling out the back end, selling online. They're not going to generate enough income from foot traffic. So a lot of our job is just helping those business owners understand the business model and make sure they really get it. And they're coming from a place of both passion and business sense and not just passion when they're wanting to start a business in a downtown. I think what you're bringing up, and we, it was something we were chatting about before we started this interview, was the, like, the criticalness, like, literally the criticalness of having your finger on the pulse of the market. We know that as real estate investors, but in order to orchestrate, right, development, mixed use, residential only, these are multiple quote unquote strategies. These are multiple types of asset classes. They get financed differently. So in order to be successful, right, which tool in my toolbox am I going to use for these three lots, so to speak? Um, you need to be, and you need to be able to lean on a team that really knows, um, where the city is, where the city needs to go and like where there's opportunity. Um, more so than like, I would think like flipping a house in suburbia. Do you know what I mean? It's even more specific what you're saying. So tell me more about like the kind of, I don't know, how do you really ensure you have like, obviously talking to the city officials, the research, all those things, but any other hacks so you could become like, you know, uh, you really have a finger on the pulse. So you know what asset class, residential, mix, commercial only, only residential, is going to work. Yeah. Oh, you're getting me all excited now. So (laughs) I totally do believe that people should focus on one strategy, right? And maybe once you get really good at that strategy, then you can expand. Now in real estate, we typically think of strategies as asset classes. So I'm going to do value add apartments. I'm going to flip houses. I'm going to do buy and hold. And they think of that one strategy as the asset class. Well, in a revitalizing downtown, the downtown is the asset class. 
So you have to know that market. That is our competitive advantage. We know our market. We know what people are looking for. One, we're in it every day. We work down here. We build down here. We are putting tenants in buildings down here. We understand their struggles. We know the market. So our asset class is the downtown. And what we build from that point depends on what is needed. So we know that people love to live in this whole mixed-use concept. It's the biggest challenge as a development in a downtown, but not because people don't want it. It's because for 50 plus years, zoning hasn't allowed for it. So banks struggle. They don't know what to do with it. Um, appraisers are trying to figure out how do I appraise this thing? And zoning, ha- it's always going to be an exception unless they've just done a blanket downtown. You can do basically anything you want to zoning. They don't know exactly what to do with it. And so the biggest challenge really is educate yourself and the city. But like I said, if you both want the same things, you will figure out a way to make it work. So our strategy is that we build boutique apartments, we build mixed use, we build townhomes. Our strategy is what does the market need? So for us, if it can be deeded single family, so a townhome, a cottage cluster, we'll sell it because we believe every neighborhood should have homeowners and renters and commercial and retail. And that's what makes it vibrant is that you have all of these people interacting together. So we'll sell anything that's needed single family so that you can have the homeowners and the pride of ownership in downtown. But then we also want to have assets long-term and build community and generational wealth. So those we'll develop the boutique apartments and the mixed use And then we'll keep those long-term. And so one really feeds the other. Those houses that we sell, they provide income for us as developers, as well as the money that we can put into those boutique apartments and the mixed use so that we can hold those long-term. And so that's the strategy. As far as size, you know, we kind of push the boundaries a little bit, but we started with three, right? That went, we did seven, that went. Across the street, we did nine, that went. So we're like, okay, we can build up to 10 now and feel good about them selling out. Same way on the mixed use side. The first mixed use building we built, it had like four or five, you know, residential lofts above it. We're like, there are four or five people who want to live downtown. Then we did a 20 unit loft and now we've just done an 18 unit apartment. And so If 18 people don't want to live downtown, all of our assets are at risk because those businesses aren't going to be successful, right? And so as you do it and you gain experience, you kind of see what the limits are and you just push them a little bit. I love what you're saying. And I want to make mention of it because, you know, when you start to become such like an expert in the market, like really like you have your finger on not just the the pulse, but on so many different levels of of, of the city and in the town you become, you create your own comps, right? You're creating your own, you're, you're like, you're creating your own comps. You're creating your own rental pricing. (laughs) You know, you're, you're, and I think that's so valuable when, when we really started to say, okay, we're going to really leverage, uh, and do, do more in Kentucky. And we're going to buy more so larger apartment complexes and renovate them. Not, not quite what you're saying in terms of a small downtown, but in terms of really knowing what the going rate is. And then, and, and then just being able to like, oh, well, what we're creating our own rental, you know, based on this product, this type of unit that we're renting, we're really pushing the boundaries. And then as we buy more, we're comparing it to our own properties. And, and so I think that's really powerful when you're expanding, you know, and, and you're almost mitigating risk by doing that, especially right now. I'm curious though, your boutique apartment building, the 18 loft. So 
I'm curious to understand a little bit about, you know, the financing of this, because that is a big question that people are probably wondering. This all sounds amazing. I got plenty, I got plenty to do in my small town. Um, I know how you said you financed your first seven townhomes. Tell me a little bit about the financing of the 18 units. And as you are financing and underwriting, how are you mitigating your risk when it comes to, you know, rising labor costs and, and all the things that developers are, are, are potentially struggling with? Yeah. So the biggest risk in development is time. Time is always your enemy, right? Because you don't know if rates are going to rise. You don't know if the market's going to shift. You don't know. So our deal, that's another reason why we like small developments. We don't want a big multi-year development. We want a small development that we can get on the ground in 12 to 18 months. And even that's a risk, but that helps minimize that risk. Now, as far as financing, it's development is less creative when people think of creative financing because there's kind of a typical structure, but there are a lot of different ways that you can fulfill that structure. So what we do is we always work with a local bank. They're the ones who lend to commercial real estate builders, right? And we do a construction loan and it's usually 75% of the total cost. Now it's, you know, it ranges depending on the economy, but it's typically 75%. What is it now you're seeing? What are you, what are the numbers like right now you're seeing? The one we just did, they did 75 or this apartment, they did 75%, but we put 5% additional cash collateral that once we hit one-to-one debt service coverage, they'll release that collateral. And I like that better than doing 70% loan to value because that's forever until I refinance. So it's like the bank gets help during their riskiest period. And then we get it back whenever we're stabilized. So that's kind of how they've mitigated that. I like that. Yeah. And then for the equity, it can come from us. And that's why we flip houses because we want to own as much of every building. We we want to own 100%. But in order to grow steadily, we have to bring in some private investors, but we want to own as much as possible. What sounds like a nightmare to me is owning 5% of 10,000 doors. Like, I'll just go back and be a banker and get a job and be miserable that way. And so, you know, to each their own, but for us, we want to own as much as possible. So that, but that money raised can come from private investors. It can come from you. So that's where you have to get creative is try and bring in like the right mix uh, on the equity side, because you're not going to get in with no equity in the deal. Now, when in, in a Burr environment, we would refinance. We would uh, get some reserves built up. We would then return the rest to investors and we'd have relatively little in those units or in those projects. Now, right now, the world isn't good for Burr because it's not even the loan to value right now that is preventing a Burr. It's your debt service coverage, right? Your loan determines how what your debt service coverage can be and no development really works in an eight and a half to nine and a half percent world long term. So it needs to be between six and seven is kind of the sweet spot for interest rates to really work. And so your equity is, I'll say trapped, but not forever, right? There'll come a time. I was a banker way back before the pandemic. If I walked into a room and told my client that we were going to give them prime plus something, we would have been laughed out of the room. Everything was prime at the time. It was LIBOR, but LIBOR plus a little bit, which was equivalent to prime minus. Everyone will adjust. The balance sheets of the banks have to get healthy. And then that will come back around. So right now we're just kind of filling it out. But what we did for our apartment building is we saw when we started it, which was almost 18 months ago, we just finished from fixing and moving our first tenants. We saw a rising interest rate environment. 
We didn't know how fast. We didn't know how far. So we went to the bank and said, hey, we want you to fix the rate from the beginning. Because typically how it works, your float rates during your rate floats during construction. And then when it turns out, it fixes. But we were like, no, no, no. We want to fix it from the beginning. And I'll be damned if they didn't say yes. I actually didn't expect that, but might as well ask. So we got the rate fixed at 475, I think. Now today, prime is eight and a half. That's what the rate would be. And what was the rate when you got a fix? 475, 4.75%. Wow. And that's the first time we'd ever asked for them to fix it during construction. Now, it wasn't like, oh, we're so brilliant. It's because we were finishing up another development that was seeing the pressure of the interest rates going up. So we were trying to figure out how to minimize our risk since we didn't know how high they were going to go. And, and they were willing to do that. And so, you know, part of it is just understanding the market. And then because it's a local bank, that's where it gets creative. It's not like in an FHA loan or conventional loan where you have to check boxes. They want you to be successful. So y'all agree on how do we do that so that we're all successful here? And they were willing to fix the rate and they were able to match their cost of funds, work for them, work for us. And it looks brilliant now. (laughs) I love that for so many different reasons. And, And everyone listening, I think right now we need to ask for what we want. And especially with interest rates, uh, you know, you, you know, locking them in, we, we don't know if they're going to still be going up, even at the time of recording this. I think that's really smart. And it's a win-win for, for banks that are quite honestly, think about their lending. They need to lend their money. If they don't lend their money, they're not making money. The down payment, was that private money? Was that a lender? Was that an equity partner? Um, or was that your own cash? It was private money and our own cash, combination of the two. The perfect thing to do, we do one of two options. One, we'll get that landowner financed on the front end. We take that out once the commercial construction loan is in place. But initially, we can be real creative with how we structure it. Or we find a place that has those rentals. Like when I told you we did those seven townhomes, it had three rentals on it. And so it cash flowed. So while we're going through rezoning, getting the plans done, getting everything approved, it's cash flowing. And then when we're ready, then we, you know, in the leases and then demo the houses. So there are creative ways where you're not just holding a bunch of raw land that's costing you money. There are definitely ways that you can get into it. But then once we build, it's our money plus we have just a handful of private investors who will go into each of our projects. Our projects typically are around, you know, two to three million. So we're usually raising around 500 to 700,000. So they're not big amounts that we're having to raise. You spread that over four or five people and then multiple projects. It's a relatively easy lift. The last question though, in terms of like, you know, uh, there's folks listening that are private lenders and there's folks that need private lenders. And I think right now, you know, I've, I've used private lenders for the 17 years we've been investing for different reasons, for different uh, projects as well. It's always a tool in the toolbox, quite honestly, no matter what's happening in the economy, no matter what the interest rates are. I think private lenders serve, private lenders, of course, serve such an important role. So I'm curious, what um, percent are you paying your private lenders, especially on this deal? Like what, what's the going rate that you're paying them? So first off, we don't usually use private lenders. I would love a private lender. The reason I don't use private lenders is I just don't have one who is going to lend me the 1.7 to 2 million. And so I, the equity is private partners. So they own an equity position. Okay. So it's not a lender. It's an equity partner. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. But I would love a private lender. The complication is if they don't do the full amount and they're lending the down payment, now my bank has to agree to 
have a second lien behind them. And there's reasons why banks don't like no, that. No, of course. And, that's, and then they also don't like that. Yes. And the private lender has to realize they're going to be second lien. And so it's and not that it can't be done. It's just messy. Um, but if I had a private lender, but I would say, you know, my whole thing is the commercial banks want to lend to, on this. And they're usually cheaper than private lenders. So if I'm going to have a private lender, they're going to need to do it for the bank or a lower rate than the bank. Otherwise, I'd probably just end up working with the bank anyway. Okay. Okay. That, and the reason I don't do hard money lenders for the construction, two reasons. One is you can't control the timeline. So it can get really expensive and out of control fast. So I don't really want a hard money lender for the development phase. And then two, to help our risk, we always have the permanent financing set up when we break ground. So I know in 18 months or 24 months, it automatically converts to an amortizing loan. And the reason this is so important is banks, I don't care how good your relationship is. If their lending arm says we're no longer doing apartments, they are not going to do the loan for the apartment. So it's usually not the most beautiful financing or the best financing, but it is financing. So I eliminate the risk of finishing the building and not being able to get a lender. So I, oh, I like when they do both the construction and the permanent because I eliminate the risk of having to have a lender. And then if the environment's good and I get better terms, then I just go and refinance it with someone else. But I really want that in place before I start. Makes sense. Katie, uh, this has been great. Where can everyone listening learn more about you and follow you along your journey? Yeah, I am big on Instagram. So at Katie Develops and follow along my projects there. And yep, love doing this, love teaching other people about it so that they can do it in a town that they love. Love it. And, and I would just highly encourage everyone, keep this conversation going, especially as a tool in your toolbox as you're advancing your real estate investing goals. Ask the questions about development, about new construction, about downtown revitalization inside our Facebook community. That's why we have a free Facebook community. Uh, we'll put that in the show notes, the link, but ask your questions, get the support you need. Don't rely on yourself. Thanks again, Katie, so much. And thanks so much for everyone listening. Been fun. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews, go to our website, therealestateinvestor.com. There, you can subscribe to our show, become part of our investor community, and get updates on upcoming episodes. If you like our show, please share with other women who would benefit. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And as always, we encourage you to take one action as a result of today's show and put it into motion so you can live both a financially free and balanced life. Thanks for spending time with us. Ciao.